I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Lone Star House of Design, a podcast about all things design and architecture from and about the great state of Texas. This episode features Melissa Gersel, an artist of outdoor spaces. She crafts, teases, and manipulates organic matter and design product into highly unique and crafted spaces. Texas is not always the best canvas for such things. At times, the weather doesn't really cooperate. Active soil, you name it. There are a number of surprises, hot, cold. You're going to hear how this artisan uses the inhospitable to craft incredible outdoor design. This is Melissa Gerstel. Are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, please do, so you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Lone Star House of Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and now you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture, so check it out. It is so great to talk to you, and I I love that you know, the first thing, Melissa, is that's so funny for me is we talk about, like, before I hit the little red button, we talk about all of the uh, challenges that affect us now as it relates to um, design, tech, communications. And I wanted to ask you first and foremost, with everything going on, so like yesterday, the governor of Texas decided that there's no longer a COVID issue in the state of Texas and everything's open. Starting, starting next week. So by the time this airs, everything will have been completely open. And I'm curious how that will affect your business, especially in regards to how you've been operating over the last year. Okay. Well, oh my God. First of all, thank you so much for having me on uh, your podcast. It's so great to see you too. And um, so how will things, so first of all, my own personal opinion is I am not happy about the governor's call. I think it's way too soon. Um, and I don't think it's good for the people of Texas at all. So that's my personal opinion. Um, how will it affect my business? Actually, I don't see it really affecting my business at all. So, so maybe, you know, it's, it might be easier for me to complain about it because, um, we're, we're moving ahead, but I want to do what's best for the people of Texas. So, um, and for people in general, and I just don't think it's safe for people to be going out and about doing things without masks. Now that said, you know, I'm a, I'm a landscape designer. I work outdoors. So we haven't really been impacted by this in the same way as other industries, but um, I see the work that's going on in general as, you know, with the right safety precautions happening. And, um, and so I feel like those things should continue with, with the safe precautions that need to happen. I will continue to wear a mask uh, in meetings and when I'm in close proximity to others. When we're outside, we try to keep our distance and so we don't have to be quite as cautious if, as if we were inside in an interior space. So I don't see it really affecting the work that I do so much as others, but I don't like the fact that they have told people essentially to let their guards down. I don't think that's a smart move at all. Well, no, I, it's, I totally agree with you. <laughs> that, that being said, um, one of the things that we've learned over the past 12 months, and gosh, it's so hard to say, it's been a year now. Yeah. And in that year, we've learned that landscape architects are lifesavers. And (laughs) especially as it relates to the home and what these new demands are from the home. Now, it's really interesting. And one of the things I was really excited to talk to you about this, because, you know, it's sort of like this confluence of, of, of issues all at once. You've got COVID on one side, you've got the fact that Texas, and I, I love publishing Lone Star House of Design because I have always felt that Texas was one of these design flyover states, which because you're not LA, New York, San Francisco, Miami, Boston, Atlanta, you don't get the kind of attention that you should as it relates to the design work that's being done within the state. That being said, Texas is a republic. It's not a state. 
It is your country all to itself. And I know because I lived there for nine years. I totally get it. <laughs> Don't mess with Texas. It's not, it's not a marketing phrase. It's a warning. And people yeah. need to actually know this. At the same time, Harvey, Katrina, um, the, the most recent storms, which led to the power grid going right. down, that's, that's not a recent issue. And I'm curious with what people are asking for now from designers over the last 12 months, combined with the fact that, you know, once something happens once, it can happen again. Absolutely. A, a pandemic could absolutely happen again now that it's real. The power grid going down. Listen, when I moved to Dallas in 94 and then I moved back again in 2003, there were huge, during deregulation, power was a huge issue then. The fact mm -hmm. that the grid can go down means it could happen again. How does that change the way that you view what you do? And do you now look at ways to solve for that as it relates to each individual project? That's that's an interesting question. And, and also, it's so interesting because I never really thought about it that way. I, I thought about Texas as, in the way that you described it as a republic and the attitude of Texans, but I never put the two together with the don't mess with Texas and the attitude as well. But, but it does, it goes straight to the heart of Texans. Um, and it's really interesting. So you're right. Once something happens once, it's now it's top of mind and people think about it. And, and we've had so many incidents recently from um, the tornado uh, last spring, just before co the COVID pandemic began. And, um, and then rec most recently, this ice storm we had just two weeks ago, which is still very fresh. And it's incredible to even think about or entertain when it's about 70 degrees outside right now and sunny. So, so that said, so how does that affect the way we live or the way that I think about design? Um, I have already had clients saying to me, we need a generator. Where can we place it? So that's, that's top of mind now. People are really thinking about those things. Like, so additional equipment and things like that. Um, we already do some types of heating outside, like fire pits and fireplaces. But of course, when you've got below freezing temps, you're not using the outdoor fireplace. You're more dependent on, on the interior types of things. But, you know, we are thinking about ways to keep people warm outside and make things more comfortable outside at all times of the year, it used to be more in the summer. How do we cool things down? How do we keep the mosquitoes out? How do we make it comfortable and cozy for people to continue to enjoy the outside? And also thinking about people being on the interior when they can't go outside, what's the view outside so that wherever they are in their home and they're feeling cooped up from COVID or whatever natural disaster is happening at the time, that when they're looking outside, they're still feeling inspired. They're still feeling good about life in general, because that view has such an impact on the way we live and the way we feel about life in general. So those are all things that come into consideration. The generator thing is the newest and um, something, you know, that we're approaching on a case by case basis as clients want them, but it's just a matter of finding places for these, for this new equipment and um, and then figuring out how to um, accommodate those things um, in the garden, whether it be, you know, all the technicalities of it, the connections, hiding machinery and things like that, things that we also already did with pool equipment or air conditioning units and and the things that we need to live that we don't necessarily want to see. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like most of that is gonna fall into your domain, not that of the interior designers, right? <laughs> so is that is that the case? Um, I guess so. I guess, you know, yeah, interior designers don't really think about like, where does the air conditioning unit go? Where does the pool equipment go? Um, I'm sure there are other things they have to hide. You know, there are always things on the inside of the house, like the sound system equipment or, um, you know, utility type things or rooms like that, um, where their water heaters, now they have the, the tankless ones. So everything's kind of lower profile, but we all deal with the same problems. I think it's just a different, um, it's the same approach. It's the same problem solving work that has to be done. It's just a different venue or a different 
location of the house that we're dealing with it and we're finding different solutions. But the process, I think, is the same across all forms of design. And it's so interesting today, I was looking at a, some, a designer I know, he had a post on Instagram about a bathroom remodel that he'd done. And he was dealing with um, steam from the shower in a very small space and had to figure out how to create low profile cabinetry for storage, but also dealing with the moisture that happens. And so his solution was to put a stone uh, facade instead of like a wallpaper or paint and, and plaster and things like that in the room. And that's the same kind of problem that we deal with outside, you know, so we may have moisture from humidity or the air or something like that. We may have, there, there are just so many different kinds of problems. There could be irrigation issues where we need to, or drainage that we have to deal with or hiding the, where the water is going on the site and how we're getting it out of the site. There's always a problem when it comes to design. It's just a matter of finding the right solution. And the best solution is the one that is the most elegant, that is also beautiful and aesthetically pleasing and um, also provides functionality. And I think that's the most fun part of the job. It's really solving problems. So um, it's just something that I think we all love to do as designers. Yeah, I get that <clears throat> at the same time. And mm -hmm. my philosophy on this, I have always felt, and I've, I've espoused this, espoused this for, for quite some time, I view designers and architects as futurists. Mm -hmm. You're not designing for six months or a year from now. You're designing you know, your outdoor spaces for 25, 30 years. An architect is designing a house not for 10 years or 20 years, but for 100 years. And so- We hope. <laughs> we hope. No, that is the that is the idea yeah. now. Um, it's yeah. it, that is what you're designing for. I mean, that's the plan is that it can last that long. What's interesting too is so many things have been thrown at you as a creator and as a you know as this landscape architect. You know, and I could just name a few. I talked about the storms, right? So you're in Houston, you're mm -hmm. in Dallas, so you don't you know. Right. Katrina and Harvey didn't really affect you as much as yeah. it did folks down down south. At the same time. We had a huge tornado though, Josh. So you, a, a year yeah. ago, which tore trees and houses and tore them up. So different yeah. situation, but and, yeah. And listen, when I was when I lived in Dallas, um, there was a huge tornado that hit downtown Fort Worth. That's and right. It blew out windows of the of the uh -huh. of the skyscraper. I mean, it was it was uh -huh. a huge yeah. issue, and it yeah. was a, like a May summer day, you know, and people right. people. It was amazing. Um, so yeah, you absolutely have that. What you also have, let's just put the pandemic behind us. Let's put the let's put the electric grid off to the side because mm -hmm. that is going to be an issue, but everyone realizes that now. You also have earthquakes from fracking, mm -hmm. which you didn't have That's necessarily right. some time ago. So welcome to Southern California. And yeah you you have to take these things into account now and it's not to scare anybody it's like look we have modern technology now like tesla and their power walls amazing right so there are things you can do but what's interesting is anytime there's geothermal solar any new kind of development nine times out of ten you know except for the you know the the uh instant hot water heater, most <laughs> often it winds up in your domain where it's something that has to be accounted for outside of the home, right? Yeah, a lot of times that equipment does end up outside. That's true. It, your it job. Does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my job is to hide it. And, you know, there there's some, you know, typical ways we can do it, you know, and, and we try to be creative. And sometimes, a lot of times the air conditioning unit or whatever it is, is kind of in a place, hopefully if it's a great architect um, and it's a newer home, they'll put it someplace and they'll, they'll think about where it goes. Um, when you deal with older homes in old, more established neighborhoods where the homes were built, you know, a hundred years ago or more, um, then we're dealing with trying to fit new equipment and larger equipment in smaller spaces and space is always a, a commodity is, is something that's a precious commodity. And so we're trying to maximize space and keep views attractive. And so those are things that we're just have to think about and deal with. Um, and a lot of spatial planning solutions that have to be thought through. 
backing up a second, um, I love a good origin story. So tell me how the firm started. Tell me why. Tell me why you're doing this and not marketing or why you're not a doctor or why you're <laughs> not doing something else. Well, it's funny you should say marketing because my background actually wasn't marketing. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that was my first career. Um, no, but so I'll try to not to bore you with the long details of the story, but I actually, my dream originally was to be a photojournalist for National Geographic. So I was always interested in nature. I always wanted to do something outside and I loved to write. And so I went to college thinking that that's what I wanted to do. And I realized, I kind of learned a little bit about myself. And what I realized was I was not the kind of person who wanted to be alone in the forest or the jungle with the gorillas in the mist. You know, I liked animals, but I, <laughs> but I like humans more. I like to talk. I'm a, I'm a social person. And so, you know, the life of Jane Goodall or Diane Fossey was not for me. I would have been terrified to be alone by myself and also very lonely. And I think I would have fallen into a deep depression if I lived that lifestyle. So I quickly realized like that was not going to happen. Um, and so I happened to have been, I went to the University of Michigan undergrad in Ann Arbor. And um, I happened to have been enrolled in the School of Natural Resources, which is where I was trying to get the education that I thought I needed to become uh, to work for National Geographic. And um, that's where I learned about landscape architecture. And that's where I like this idea just clicked. And I thought, oh my God, this is what I want to do. I love this. It brings creativity and design and nature, all those things together that I love. Um, however, the school at the time, and I think still didn't have an undergraduate program. And um, I, I don't know why I just thought I need to get it. Well, I do know why my parents were going through a divorce and I thought I need a career right away. I can't wait for grad school and spend four more years in school for this. So, um, so I ended up saying, deciding that I wanted to, I would do the business route. So I ended up going to business school and I studied marketing instead, which also was a creative outlet for me. But, um, about eight years into that, I thought, you know what, I was missing the idea of working outside and I wanted to create things. I, I, I kept saying to my husband at the time, I said, I'm creating strategies, I'm creating ideas, but I'm not creating anything tangible. I wanted to walk away from a project where I could look at it and see it and feel it and touch it and say, I did that, I built something. And so that was the impetus that brought me back to the idea of landscape architecture. And so I went back to grad school and got my master's degree in landscape architecture. Um, so that's how it happened. I went to school for that. Um, I worked as an apprentice underneath a, a wonderful landscape architect named Rosa Finsley, who was my mentor. Um, she's now in her, probably in her eighties. Um, she did phenomenal projects, did a lot of work on um, Texas ranches and large estates and work in Colorado and Texas, um, a lot of work with Lake Flato. Um, and uh, I worked under her for the time that I was in grad school. I was pregnant in my last year of grad school and defended my thesis at nine months pregnant. And <laughs> the joke was I had to give birth to the thesis before my baby or it would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's the way it happened. And so um, I defended the thesis. I gave birth. I was a parent, and then all of a sudden, I had uh, some people asking me, "Oh, is that what you do? We'd love to talk to you." And so my my work just kind of evolved from that. My business evolved from there. Um, I just started having private clients asking me, and I wasn't interested in going to a large firm and starting that course, um, starting a career, sort of that, you know that. Um, that process that happens when you start out at the bottom of the, the ladder and you sort of work your way up through the corporate world, that was just not appealing to me anymore as a, as a new parent. And so through the process of just working for individual clients, that's how my business started and grew. 
And now it's 12 years later, and here I am. Curious, in that time, tell me, tell me about the state of design, not just in Texas, but in Dallas in particular. Dallas is one of those cities, and for anyone who's listening who's not in the state of Texas, it's really interesting to understand that within Texas, you have very, very different cities. Houston and Dallas cannot be compared. Dallas and Fort Worth are not comparable. Austin and Dallas. Austin, totally different. Yeah. Completely different. Uh, yeah. San Antonio, completely different. Yes. You know, Waco, Abilene. You've got very, very unique cities. The topography changes, the dynamics change, the the The, the personalities change of the people, the demographics and just the general attitudes, I think, are very different too. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so I'm curious, what are you seeing in Dallas from a design standpoint? How many projects are you doing a year now um, compared to what you were doing maybe three to five years ago? Oh, gosh. The number of projects I'm working on has um, probably tripled since three to five years ago. I mean, it's just maybe quadrupled even. It's just so much larger, but just also we, I have more bandwidth as well. And, and, you know, as your firm grows, things, things grow that way too. People, more people know about you, more people want to work with you. Um, but also I think it's not just a reflection of, of, you know, the growth of my company. It's the, it's, it's an indication of the growth of the industry as well. And the number of people, I think COVID has had a tremendous impact on um, how many how many people want to do home improvements inside and out in general? I'm sure you've seen this and, and talking to all the people that you interview. Um, this industry has just grown tremendously. People have more um, disposable income to spend on home projects because they're not traveling and they're not really going out much since COVID began. Um, and also think people are thinking about home a lot differently too now. I think a lot of times in the past, people thought about it in terms of their investment in real estate and um, how much it was worth spending on certain things. And now people are thinking more about creating the home for them. And what do I really want? And it's an investment more in their health and happiness and their what they value and how they want to live and enjoy their homes rather than, well, how much am I going to get out of this? And that's... Not that that doesn't pay, play into the equation. I mean, everybody thinks about that and everybody has a budget, large or small. But I think um, the fact that people are just spending more time at home, it's just become more of a, of, um, it's, it's been, become elevated in importance for people in general. So um, I think, have I, have I veered off? Am I answering your question? No, no, <laughs> so, you're, you're, you're yeah. on point. Yeah, no, you're on yeah. point. I think, I think the difference is, um, you know, what I've noticed, and I'm curious your opinion on this 12 months versus three years to five years ago. Um, I think many people have looked at, you know, used to be they would, people would evaluate the project and the need Mm-hmm. by the money that shows. And now in the last 12 months, we're getting more, you know, people still want the, to spend the money on things that show versus the things that don't show. Right. But, but I think there's a priority now to functionality over form as it relates to what the spend is. It, it, that's, it, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, one of the things that I've talked about a bit with some other people is, um, and we may have touched on this um, before, is the fact that, you know, the space in the garden has now extended to not just the entertaining space, not just the place where the kids play, but it's also the place where people, it's an extension of the living space and even the home office space. And so, especially when you have more temperate climates, like we typically do in Texas, um, and people are running out of space or they're feeling cramped inside because they're not going out as much or their kids are home more because they're homeschooling or they're not going to their offices because, you know, because of COVID reasons, people are working from home. They need either a change of scenery 
or they need an extension of space because they need some privacy or quiet <laughs> to get away from the noise and the, the commotion inside the house. And so then the garden now becomes not only the leisure space, but it becomes a workspace. And so those are other elements that we, we're thinking about when we think about the design uh, and the functionality of, of the yard. I think you also have to take other, other things into account too. You know, Southern California, outside, inside, same thing. Right. Really. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I spent, um, since moving back from Dallas, you know, my wife and I and our kids, we, we spent the last 13 years living in a, we went from 46, 5,000 square feet on a 25,000 square foot or a quarter acre lot with a 25,000 gallon pool, right? Mm-hmm. To a 1,264 square foot <laughs> beach bungalow. Right. Yeah. On a, on a 4,400 square foot lot. And you know what? It was fine because you, we didn't have air conditioning. You just, you open the doors and maybe two or three days a year, it's a little uncomfortable, but for the most part, you know, you just open the doors and outside is inside and inside is outside and it it works out fine. What you're talking about is really interesting because that same idea has now expanded to Texas. And perhaps it's because you have so many Californians living there that (laughs) they share some of those same desires and loves for indoor outdoor living. But I also think that again, back to this sort of Texas Texan mentality where it's like, we're going to do things our own way. And that is certainly the way that Texans view things. Don't tell a Texan what to do. It has to be their idea the idea that you've got so much more space, but what you do have to do is take into account that you have weather issues. And in Dallas, look, yeah. it can be, I remember, it could be 35 degrees one day and 75 degrees the next day. That is true. That, that is, is a true. real possibility. Um, you have more wind than the city of Chicago. You you have bigger spaces. Is that true? I didn't know that. Oh my gosh. In Dallas. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. that was one of the things that I always remembered about Dallas is, is, is yeah. the wind. There is a um, lot of wind here. Yeah, that's true. I never really think about it, but, that, but you're right. You're right. So, and so, and so with one of the things that I've seen, and I'm curious as to your take on this as well, air, yeah, water, space, noise. Um, yeah, noise, speaking of which my dog, I don't know, I hope you can't hear that. <laughs> She's barking in the background, I have my headset on. So um, hopefully it's not too loud. But um, yeah, all of those things absolutely come into to play. Um, you know, the biggest air, air quality is a big issue, although I haven't had people really come to me and say, hey, you know, what can we do about the air quality? It's more about like, it's too hot, it's too cold. How do I create... Um, you know, the right temperature, the right environment, the mosquitoes are a huge issue here. Like that's a big problem, Um, which I don't think you have quite as much in California. Um, Water conservation, you know, the thing about Texans too, is you can't tell them how to live. Um, Sustainability has not been huge here. Recycling only started, um, I don't know, in the last five or 10 years, that's like decades late. You know, those are, there are a lot of things that we're progressive on, but I wish people were more progressive about the environment in the state. I think it's starting to get more, um, people are starting to pick up on that. Um, I love to provide sustainable solutions, um, whether my clients know about it or not, you know, so we can always, I don't want to say sneak them in, we just put them in naturally. And so if the client knows about it or doesn't, it's, it's, doesn't matter to me if they're curious of course we share it and we talk about it but um but you know trying to do things that'll help the environment rather than fight it especially when we're working with nature is always a good thing um the way that we can really work with nature is by um honoring the um the environments that we're working in and being loyal and authentic with the site conditions So, and that's something that I just love to incorporate into design is really thinking about the space itself and taking inspiration from the context of a site. 
and then also marrying that with the architecture of the site as well. So those are two things that have to come together. So bringing some sort of regionality to the design, um, that doesn't mean ignoring a style, but it could mean using certain plant material that has the look that we want, but that works with our soils and with our, um, with our temperatures and things like that. That helps the client too, because they're not fighting to keep something alive or they're not saying, calling me back and saying, why did this, you know, we have to start over because we lost all of this material, this plant material. Um, so trying to work more with native plants when, when we can, trying to use low water plants when, you know, when we can. Um, I don't, I haven't heard, I have had some clients really talk about that and, and ask like, can we use low water plants? And, and, um, but nobody, but nobody wants a zero escape, you know, I mean, people do, but it's not as common here. So people want things to look lush. And so we try to, and, and, and what I explain to people is it doesn't have to look like a zero escape. Um, if you're using the right plants, you can still plant densely and you can still plant plants that um, will look lush, but don't necessarily have the same water requirements as something that doesn't belong in this environment. So those are kind of the ways that we address the, you know, air and water issues and things like that. Um, and, then, and then of course the mosquitoes are a big issues. So people, a lot of people have the sprayers. I've been doing less of those, which I'm really happy. I hate spraying those mosquito chemicals in the air. I do talk to clients a lot about like, do you really want to breathe this in? Do you really want your kids breathing this in? Do you want this landing on your skin? What are other solutions we can do? So a lot of times fans will help. So I'll try to insert fans where I can to keep the air moving. That'll not only cool people down, but also keep the flies and the mosquitoes away and things like that. So trying to find more natural solutions to, um, to problems that we deal with. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because it's all, it's all related, mm -hmm. isn't it? You know, and, and especially in the outdoor spaces. Um, and you talk about water and zero scaping and it's not, you know, the reason I think in Texas that you haven't had to really pay attention to it as, as much is because you haven't really had to pay attention to it as much right. because it didn't really hit that area. What's interesting now though, is you have to, <clears throat> You have to take certain things into account. For instance, you know, God forbid you should wind up working on a project that was built in the 70s in Texas, especially in Dallas, because that was not a good era for, no. con for construction, especially in Dallas as it relates to the soil because you have such active soil. And I'm, I'm going into this, I'm getting a little deep here because this is something that I'm sure you have to deal with all the time. You know, you can take, a huge home that was built in the seventies that maybe had no major issues in the past, but chances are the developer built uh, after build, put the trees way too close to the structure because they wanted that lush look and they wanted to provide shade for the structure. Well, those trees are now 40, 50 years old and mature trees like that, depending on the species, are sucking out, you know, 200 gallons of water mm -hmm. up, up to that much a day, depending on the size and species. And, and on a hot summer day in, in Texas, in Dallas, when it's, you know, when it's 100 degrees, you're sucking water, all this water out from, from the water table. And now you've got foundation issues because you've got an active soil under the house. These kinds of things are the reasons why changes have to be made, are they not? So, so when you come in, is this part of what you do as well, where you're looking around saying, okay, this may not be a problem now, but here's some things we can do to address potential future issues. Right. So it's interesting that you mentioned that um, about the soil. The thing about Dallas, that's about a big chunk of, of Dallas and our soils here is that we are in a region that has very clay soils that are extremely expansive. And so what that means is that the particulates or the particles within the soil can expand to two to two and a half times the size. So what happens is if the soil gets extremely dry at one time, um, all the moisture comes out of the soil and it contracts and gets to a certain size. Okay. Then it, 
if there is an extreme rainfall, um, what happens is those soils expand and they become, let's say, two and a half to si- times the size. And what happens to a house that's not built on um, piers and beams that may be on a slab is that that house starts to move because the soils shift so much. And that's how you get foundation issues with cracking and shifting of a house. Um, so that's a major issue. So those are things that I really do talk a lot about with my clients and think about when I'm designing for a house, um, new or old, is um, where is the soil in relation to the, the top of the foundation or the, the um, floor level of the house? Um, and also trying to keep the soil consistently moist throughout the year. Is, the, is what really has to happen. So, so that when you keep the soil at a level um, a, amount of moisture, that prevents the soil from expanding and contracting and expanding and contracting. You don't have that movement. And so then the house isn't moving. So the way we do that is there are little tricks of the trade. These are things that my clients may or sometimes we talk about, sometimes we don't, but um, really keeping a planting bed. A lot of people say, oh, I just want hardscape all around my house. Well, first of all, hardscape next to hardscape. So when you have like a sidewalk next to a wall is really unattractive. You know, you really need some type of green between those spaces to soften the space. So that's just a design element that we always think about. But the other piece to that is when you have a low ground cover or something just growing along the foundation of a house, people say, oh, I don't want bugs. I don't want insects. But no, what that does is that forces you to need irrigation there. And when you keep that soil consistently moist, you're not going to have the soil movement. So, um, so those are the things that we kind of do to kind of, to help with the maintenance of the home, with the architecture of the homes, with the um, prevention of really big problems that could happen when you're working with a built structure, especially in our soils and and in our environment. Um, you know, things like that are, are things that I'm always thinking about or working with the clients for. Um, and, and then the reverse could be true. There could be too much moisture near the house. And then we have to put in certain drains and things and deal with that and make sure that we're sucking the, the moisture out. And, and that gets technical um, with drainage and, and issues that we deal with. But these are just constant elements that we have to deal with with Texas soils, for sure. And, and again, I, I, I only bring it up because... I think it's interesting because when, when not in the business so much interior designers know what landscape architects do and value and value their work. I think again, when it comes to modern times and money that shows versus money that functions there, it used to be one in the same for what people were asking for. And I feel like we're at this divergent path right now where those two things are not always going to be the same. Mm-hmm. You mean form and function? That, no, I mean the money that shows versus the money that, that oh. works, the money that, that functions. I, I feel like, you know, after doing this podcast and talking to hundreds and hundreds of designers and doing the events that I do, it's really interesting because we went through this phase where it was just how, how luxurious can you make something? Maybe it's minimalist, mm-hmm. maybe it's maximalist, oh, but okay. how pretty, how, you know, the yeah. last year has really taken this idea of form and function and, and sort of made them equals where I don't think that that's been the case for, for many, many years. Yeah. I've, I've heard interior designers talking about this as well. And I think that is a trend. I think people, people are, as I said earlier, people are building for them. They're building for Mm -hmm. what they want, how they want to look, how they want to live versus how they want to appear. Maybe is maybe that's what it is. It's maybe not that so much of a, of a concern about outward appearances or ostentation or things like that. Um, and also thinking about what they really like rather than what's marketable. So those are, you know, what from an interior designer standpoint, it might be going for that bolder fabric because that's really what we like and we're going to enjoy it or the wallpaper on the wall for me uh, and for my clients, it's um, kind of thinking about like, well, that water feature, maybe, maybe the next homeowner won't want it or they won't appreciate it as much, but, but we want it and we want the sound or we will like the quality of it. And so we're going to make that investment because 
it's special to us and we want to enjoy our home to the fullest. Um, and that's really what I love the most about what I do. I, you know, it's not just the design process. It's about bringing something to a family, um, to people who live together to help them to really enjoy their life and to to be able to um, enjoy their homes and bond with each other and have spaces where they can go naturally and easily and effortlessly outside and um, have quality time together rather than um, the things that happen, which are, we never use the yard. We, you know, we don't really get to enjoy our home because there's dirt in the back. It's muddy. It's this or it's that whatever the problem is, they're not really enjoying their life. They're looking outside and they're feeling glib about things. When I can bring that joy to someone and bring the use ability of their space to them, that changes their life. And that's, that's really my purpose. You know, that's my why in life. And I love that. And with that, um, I want to transition. I want to shift a little bit. And I love this. This is a first for us. You can start loading them up while I, while okay. I started, while I tease yeah. this thing, we're doing something normally when I, when I will speak with a, a creative, we start talking about projects and then I pick the projects and sort of go to your website and show you what, what we're looking at today. But what we're doing here is a little bit differently. And, and for the podcast, you know, you can hear this, not see it. If you're, if you're, if you're watching the, um, this episode on YouTube, then during this time, I will be probably putting up the images for you to see. But if you're listening to the show, this is so great. You know, I spent seven years doing the podcast where I didn't actually have the benefit of Zoom to show what projects we were looking at. So we could just sort of tell the tell the story of the projects. And guess what? We're we're gonna do that again here. So I hope you I hope you enjoy, but don't worry that you're not seeing it because I will I will talk you through this. And uh, the first one, I'm really excited about this. Is the are we going to the uh, Kips Bay? Sure, sure. You Dallas, can we you, start with that yeah, one? Yeah, tell me what you'd like to see, and we can walk through some pictures. But um, I, you, I you have show a, me. Okay, I'll just flip through some photos. Um, these are on my hard drive, so I'm going to just try to make them show as a gallery so we can kind of flip through and hopefully these will be large enough that we can. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But while while you do that, keep in mind that this is the, this is the inaugural Kips Bay Dallas design house. Kips Bay is, is legendary, but this is their first soiree into, uh, into Texas. Yes. Yeah. So that was like the most exciting, um, exciting project really to be involved in. Uh, It was something that I had really aspired to. I watched the Kips Bay show home for many, many years in New York and knew that Mm -hmm. they were in Palm Beach. And um, when I heard they were coming to Dallas, it was like, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I was so eager. And so um, anyway, uh, when I was selected, I was thrilled. When I saw the yard I had to work with, I was scared <laughs> and the time frame I had to work within, um, you know, it's, it's a tight time frame, and there was a lot of work to do. And this was a big yard. Um, okay. So I hold, hold I it. Should, okay. Hold, hold yeah. it for one second. So here's what I want to do. You just stop here. And we're, while we're looking at this, what we're looking at is we're looking at the pool and patio. Yes. And while yeah. we're looking at this, the first thing I'd like you to do for me is to explain once you were, once you had, had applied for this, once you had submitted, once you were notified that you were selected to work on this project, what information were you given? Were you given a background on a family? Like I know that, you know, Chad Dorsey, a friend of mine worked on the kitchen and he completely, right, manuf- Chad, he, Chad yes. met, completely manufactured this family. He did. He did. And I'm curious if what you were given, what you did, um, who you designed this for, were you given a budget? Did you apply your own, abu- your own budget? Right. And, right. and what were you, what was, what was the plan? So I did, I did the same thing that Chad did. I think a lot of designers did that, which was to um, manufacture uh, an idea or a story for who would be using the space and who I was designing it for um, to give me the inspiration to um, create the space that I created. Um, And for this 
particular garden, I imagined it was actually for a 1940s movie star from uh, Hollywood. Um, and that's what really influenced the whole black and white theme with all the furnishings. And I also looked back at the uh, Villa Caparola, um, which uh, in Italy for inspiration as well. And I just imagined how this movie star would live in a home like this and how she would use the outdoor space. And I just imagined she had um, a lot of friends, a lot of visitors that would come by and she'd be throwing cocktail parties and um, entertaining in the space. Um, I also thought there would be a lot of private conversations happening. And so that's why we created these canopied uh, day beds by the pool um, people so that she'd have places where she could have a tete-a-tete with um, someone privately. Um, and then, you know, to have formal garden parties by the pool would be ideal. I could see lots of movie stars swimming in this pool, um, sunning <laughs> in front. Right. Um, and then also a place where she could go off and read a book when she wanted to just, or read a movie script um, to float away um, or be with her lover um, and so there's a whole other part of this garden, which I'll show you where um, there's an entertaining space, another more casual entertaining space by the fire pit, but also um, this tree swing, which um, I knew I had to have in this garden. So, so, um, so this was, this particular shot is what I call the money shot. Sorry, I have messages that are popping up no, um, don't on worry my about screen. It. Um, anyway, so this is what I called the money shot. This was the shot that you saw when you when you walked in the house. There was a living room in front of this um, space with windows through the whole house, and I imagined you would look straight on on this pool. So, um, so this before is, you before you go okay. in in any deeper, I'm just curious. So this is it's really interesting to me because you you have a significantly large patio area. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, for the size of this property, and I don't, I don't think you put the pool in. I think the pool was already no, there. No, the pool correct? was there. We redid all yeah. the, the hardscape. So what's interesting to me is that the, the hardscape is really large in comparison mm -hmm. to the pool. And I think it speaks directly to what you're talking about as it relates to the entertaining around the pool itself. But the, it almost feels to me, I, I love the balance that you applied to the pool and the space around it. But it almost seems a little anti-Texan to me that the pool isn't twice the size it is. Does it, did that surprise you? Um, what surprised me, you know, the, the, the deck actually looks a lot larger than it is. I think it's because of the way the furniture is, is organized and the way we, we placed it on there. Um, the pool is a, is a decent size. It's, you know, the way it was oriented in the yard, my, it was probably not where I would have placed it or, or as close to the house. It was a little closer to the house than I would have placed it. I would have done some things differently had I designed it. Um, it's, it might look small. It, I think it's a decent sized pool, but the overall layout of the yard was a little bit different from what I would, I would have potentially done had I been doing it from the start. Of course, it was also built uh, like 20 years ago. So that also had an impact on the way people live, I think. Um, yeah, but the pool also isn't meant to be a lap pool. It's more no, no. meant to be a sit-in and cool off and have your cocktail. And it's a conversational yard. It really is, it is. about entertaining. Yeah, we, well, we made it that way. Um, and I guess it does, it feels that way. I don't know. It's not a play pool. That's for sure. That's for yeah. sure. And we made it, we kind of made it that way too, with the way we, we decorated around it and with the finishes and the furnishings, it feels very formal. This is not a kid. This is not, this was made for a Hollywood actress in her, you know, later years. <laughs> this was not made for a young family with, you know, toddlers to be playing around and jumping. Yeah, in. no, I, I totally get it. Okay. So yeah. when, when, what was your idea? Like when, when someone walked into the, into the yard through the house, walked out mm -hmm. or even into the house and they get this view, what is the first thing that you wanted them to see? I wanted them to see this view and go oh, like, just take that gasp of breath and just be blown away. 
And right. um, yeah, I just wanted them to take in this view and just be like, I never want to leave. This is perfection. <laughs> and, right. um, and I think we did get that effect. I mean, I think people really were really taken by the yard. They just felt like this, you know, that the house, the house was gorgeous. The work that everyone did inside was wonderful. Um, but, you know, it was also during COVID. COVID. We're, we're still in that in the pandemic, but people were cautious. They were walking through the house with masks. They still wore the masks in the yard, but they just, I feel like when they came outside, it was so open and soothing and they just felt like they could breathe. And, right. and that was the, that was the response I wanted. And, and I was so happy. I love being there. I love seeing people enjoy the space and walk through. My favorite thing was because all the designers would be there. And we would be there to talk about the, our spaces that we created with the tour people who were going on the tour and walking through the house. I, but, but then we would take, there would be a lunch break every afternoon and um, all the designers would kind of hang out. And this was the space where we would all collect and gather and have our lunches. And um, I love that I created the space that became the social space for all the designers. Um, that to me was so rewarding and the other piece that was so rewarding about this was, you know, and I never thought about this until Kip's Bay was when I create a garden for a client, I create it and I leave and I'm done until they come, they call me back and say, Hey, we have a problem here or, or we want to do some uh, additional enhancements, you know, but I'm, I'm not hanging out in those spaces. I don't get to see how people use the space or um, really watch them enjoy it or get to enjoy it myself. So the best part of this too was being able to actually spend the time in here and really see how people were using the space, how they were enjoying the space and, and enjoy it myself. So that was really a cool thing about this experience. As you take us through to the next photo, I wanted to ask you, how do you, how do you budget for a design house? Did you budget for this? How much? You of, don't. How, right. How much of how much of what you did did you memo out? Um, and and get how much were you provided with resource wise, um, if anything? And as yes. we go to the next image, I'm curious if you know what you were yeah. what you were given um, and what you had to memo and what you found for yourself. Right. So so the the. The studios that sponsor the show are were so generous. Specifically, um, David Sutherland, Sutherland Furniture, and Perennials Fabrics. They were extraordinarily generous, and I could not be more appreciative of them. Um, and so they were they were a show home sponsor, and they provided all the designers with um, a certain amount of fabric and the use of any furniture we wanted. And so mm. they actually provided a, a, a great deal of this furniture. Um, for the garden, um, the chaise lounges, the, and these, uh, I don't know if you can see my, my pointer here, but the, the end tables here that the umbrellas, that was all them. The yeah. So basically you, you have yeah. what, what appear to be four chaise, um, end tables yeah. on each two umbrellas, right. one on each side, which right. balanced, balanced against on the other side where you have these day, are they day beds? Yeah. Um, the day beds actually were from Janice. They see. Those, those, I, you know, I, I had, I saw the, those I wanted, I needed to have them. Those I had to purchase myself um, for the garden. Um, Genesis C generously gave me a very, a nice uh, deal. <laughs> so they did help me, which was good. Um, they still were not inexpensive. They were still, um, you know, it was an investment, but you know, this is a place where designers spend some serious bucks when they have to. And, and I knew I had to do it and I need to get the look I wanted. And so I was willing to make that investment. Um, but so there were, there were pieces that I did purchase. Um, there were also a lot of pieces that were loaned to me. So like from, Jan from uh, Sutherland, um, Kimball and Bean also loaned me the, some of the, the plant containers and the corners and um, Jackson Pottery loaned me the, the planters, the bowl planters that are on the, um, around the pool. Um, and also when I created this portion of the garden that I'm showing now, which is the more casual side. So this is a little fire pit we built. Um, you can see here, I'm zooming in so you can see. Um, I'm curious, the, while, I'm sorry, while you explain this, um, we, a couple of questions that I have for you. So again, I love that you carried through the black and white. 
what what material, what stone material did you use? And um, with the fire pit in particular, is is that is that gas? Is it wood burning? Um, how did you right. approach this? Yeah. So the the fire pit itself is so all the stone material I use is limestone. It's Texas looters limestone, which is very commonly used. Um, I did take I use that stone all the time, but I did take cues from the pool. The pool had a limestone coping, but it did not have the limestone around the pool. And so um, we add all the stone around the pool. We um, we added that. Okay. And just out of curiosity, um, is that the is that limestone? Is that from Austin? It's from an area called Looters, and um, that's actually a town in Texas. And oh wow! Okay. To um, Abilene. It's not far from Abilene. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then here in this section of the garden, we did, we used the same looters limestone, but I had it lay, I cut it to size and had it laid in this random geometric pattern, this jagged edge, which, and in different widths, it kind of reminded me of old film strips too. Um, so I wanted to sort of, it's sort of a nod to that, but we used a, a rough, limestone around the fire pit you can see um just to give a textural change and um a low profile on that um the, the fire pit is not gas it's it's wood burning um part of that was due to um it was a little bit of a combination of things one time to run a, a gas line and expense to run that gas line was going to be um, more than what we wanted to do for this um and also this was a more casual spot. So it's kind of a place where I could see someone burning real wood sitting kind of further from the house. Um, it's more a, more of a leisurely activity versus someone wanting to just turn something on and have an easy, um, just instant fire, which you would do more closer to the house. Right. Um, I'll, but you could, you could feasibly have done this in, in um, with the gas key. And then this piece was generously loaned to me by Dadan, this, um, tree I was going to say those they're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. I love and I, that. You know, I the, the trees in this lot were just phenomenal. You can, you in this image, you, you can kind of see how big the tree is that it's hanging from uh, by the the trunk, which is on the right side of the photo. Um, it was huge, and and I saw the branches there, and I immediately knew I wanted that tree swing there. And then it was just a matter of um, getting a hold of it. <laughs> and I was, and to be honest, I was shocked that we were able to pull it off because it was such a short time frame and ended on was just phenomenal but i i kind of wrote it off thought it wasn't going to happen and then and then it did and I, that just was fantastic so yeah and so this part of the garden was really meant to be an extension of and a change of scenery from the formality of the other the other side I love it. I love it. And, and again, you know, one of the things that i really do love is is how you carried through the black and white and thank you that it's it's also not just a big lawn um and, and i i mean that in the best possible way but the use of space is is appropriate it's balanced and it it just looks you know that's a place i could see myself hanging out on on a fall afternoon with a fire going and uh and a shiner for sure yeah totally that's what this was meant for that's that's what this place was and I, and and i really wanted because this was so far on the other side of the, it was a large property i don't know if any of my images really show how big the property is no this is more by the pool deck again um but it's a vast lawn and you have to cross it and you really have to be motivated to get across this lawn to get to this space and so um i was a little bit worried i have to say that people wouldn't cross the lawn to really walk over here and explore but I got lots of pictures of people hanging out in this space sitting on the swing really enjoying it and they just loved it they loved being in that space and that made me so happy and then uh, the space here behind the shade lounges we did a little sort of fantasy garden um, which was a great view from the interior room and I wish I had better pictures of it looking out because this was this was a garden that was really meant to be not just a backdrop to the chaises, but also to be viewed from the inside because the floor level was hot much higher. Um, and you could see through these windows behind it and look down and see these um, sculptural boxwood globes and then the tall sort of um, Dr. Seuss 
like um, in Italian Cyprus, which were inspired so by, yeah, they were inspired by the Villa Caparola. And, um, and so that was sort of that Italian backdrop. And then um, to add the black and white of the umbrellas with that gold pattern on the, on the bottom um, really just made the whole thing um, really spectacular. Yeah. And I just want to point out too, that, you know, when we talk about the fact that it's, I love that what you did is not just lawn right across the whole yard. What's interesting is what you got when you got there was just lawn. Yeah, no, I have, I actually have before (laughs) pictures in here. I'm looking at the before pictures. Are you? Okay. So yeah. yeah, So um, I'll flip through. This is what the pool deck looked like before. See, right. it doesn't look that big when you look at it like this, you know. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was a big lawn and um, a pretty uninspired space before with um, some old, the stone was just tired and not bright. And um, yeah, and this was the view out. So I, I wish I had this photo for, with, with the new landscaping so you could see. But, but this is where I, I envisioned those, um, those tall uh, Italian Cypress would go. Yeah. So here you can see this whole space in the back of this picture is where that um, fire pit and, and this is the branch where that tree swing is hanging from. So, yeah. And I love that. And and the last thing I will say is uh, again, it, it's, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but it is quintessential North Texas design and architecture when you got there with regard to, you know, a lot of brick, yeah. Um, you have a lot of grass and yeah. n- oh, this not shows much. The full length. What's that? This shows the full length of the yard. You can see. Yeah. And isn't it, yeah. isn't it interesting too, how they oriented the pool when they first built it? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I would have gone the other way. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. That's what, that's why I said the pool was not oriented the way I would have, I would have done it. Um, it's, and it's also the other great- thing, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, the other thing that I notice is the stonework is not exactly what I would call masterful either. You can see the no. crease. Yeah, yeah. It's oh yeah, you can see this this line here. The seam, yeah. Is, yeah, that seam, which I I don't yeah, it was I so when I told you I was scared, <laughs> I really was because I, I don't get frightened for from regular client projects, but something like this where you know like everybody's gonna be looking. Um, and you only have so many, so much time to get it done in and generating all the resources and getting the design done and then getting everybody out there to get the work done. It's a, it's a Herculean task. It's not for the light at heart at all. No. And I'm just curious, um, did you, did you save the crepe myrtles? I did. Yes. This, this crepe myrtles are that. all, yeah, no, we didn't take those out, but we did plant, see all, there's no planting around them. And yeah. we put, um, and we trimmed up I mean, we just trimmed up these hollies and there was just a lot of work. This, you could see there was nothing here in this yeah. bed either. And all of that. Um, was Except grass. I mean, explain dense. that to me. Yeah. <laughs> the grass what? In, the, they, in the bed. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. But, you know, yeah. the thing, the nice thing about it, though, is I'm just flipping through so you can see more views. The nice thing about it was that um, it, ga- I mean, it could only get better, right? So, and I should have been thinking about it like that. Like, it can't get any worse. Anything no, but I but I want to just be an improvement. Yeah, and I want to <laughs> just point out a couple a couple things here that you've done. And if you stop okay. there for a minute, because I want to walk sure. through this, you've got the boxwood globes, mm-hmm. you've got you've got the patio chairs on the deck, you've got the cypress intermingled, interwoven between the globes. But then what you also did is instead of putting hardscape under it or around it that they pop through, instead of putting more grass there and then putting a bed around it, you went with a stone, with a loose stone. A gravel, and yeah. You mean yeah, back here? Yeah, yeah. but the, the loose stone that's, a, that's around uh-huh. between the house and the, yeah. um, the, the patio. The pool deck. Or sorry, yeah. the, the pool deck rather. Um, I love that you did that. And, and I'll tell you why, because I think it demonstrates a couple of the things that you and I have spoken about in this very conversation. Um, mm-hmm. the, the need to, you can, you can creatively, and what I think is optimistically, remove, you don't have to put green everywhere to make it feel lush. This, is, this almost is, is reminiscent to me of, of, a, of a European garden. 
mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, your European gardens are not rife with with lawns. You know, mm-hmm. the, it's it's That's about right. it's about the optics. And I think that you you absolutely created this amazing story around the very story that you had in your in your mind. And I can I can see it. And I think that that's really, really special. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, um, I appreciate that. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it really helps to have a story, I think. Um, I think it really helps to have an idea of who you're designing for. And uh, I mean, I love getting to know my clients and knowing how they want to live and what they like to do and, you know, how they want to spend their time so that we can create spaces that make sense for them that are that are are usable and livable. So, um, yeah. yeah, but you're right. The, and, and the gravel here, it keeps the space. I mean, from a, from a sustainability standpoint, it keeps the space permeable water can, you know, we're not, um, pouring concrete over it, but it creates a fabulous look and, and it's just really, um, it, it works. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And, and what's funny is Melissa, I, you and I, I could talk to you all day long. We've, we've been at this about an hour, so I'm going to, I'm going to let you go because I know that you have other things to do, but before I do that, I just, listen, this was, this was so special. And I loved this walkthrough of the Kips Bay design house. I really love that you did it. Um, I love that you were part of the inaugural uh, version of this. And the question, the, the last question I have for you is when you do this again, will you do a design house again? And are you targeting another design house? And is there one that you would absolutely love to be a part of? Oh, for sure. I would definitely do this again. It was the most wonderful experience I could have imagined. Um, uh, so I can't do Kip Spay for, I think, three or five years, something like that. I think there's a, there's a wait period. <laughs> so, um, so that, so that, will be a bit of time before I could return to Kips Bay. Um, there are several in California that I'm interested in. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't really, um, I haven't applied for any lately. I, I, I have my feelers out trying to learn more about what's, what's available. Um, so I am going to explore those opportunities. Um, but I definitely would love to participate in another one. It's just, it's a fantastic experience. I, I love meeting the other designers, um, the collaborative spirit of the whole space, the ability to just explore your own creativity without um, any boundaries, really, just the boundaries you put on yourself are the only ones. Um, it's just a great opportunity as a designer to really, um, you know, flex your muscles a bit. So I'd, I'd love to do it again. Love that. And um, you and I, I'm sure we'll be circling back at some point and some point soon. I, I look forward to actually making that next road trip uh, to Dallas and maybe we can sit down in person next time. I would love that. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. This is great. Thank you, Melissa. You are amazing and I appreciate your time and your talent. Thank you, Walker Zanger and Thermosol, for your support. And thank you for subscribing and downloading the show. And if you are not already, please subscribe. So you catch every episode of Lone Star House of Design and Convo by Design the moment they're published. You can also ask your smart speaker to play Convo by Design. And if you really want more, follow along. ConvoByDesign.com and at ConvoByDesign with an X on Instagram. For show inquiries, sponsorship, and guest inquiries, email me, convobydesign at outlook.com. Be well. And remember, take today first. Mm